you got a Bible, and I hope you do, I hope you'll uh, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, where we just were. Colossians is in the New Testament, um, which is, means it's about 80% of the way through the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, a book called Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and then you get into these uh, short books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians can get really confusing which ones they go in. And so my friend Rob always says, just remember, GE Power Company. GE Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You will never hear one of those books and not think GE Power Company again. The next thing is that the, the New Testament did to keep you straight is that the next books after Colossians, you'll see the next book after Colossians is a book called 1 Thessalonians. There are five books that start with the letter T, and they're all bunched together. Just so that you don't have, if, the, if somebody says a word and it starts with T, and they tell you it's in the New Testament, just look for T's, and it's one of those. There's five back-to-back. So that's all free. None of that has to do anything with the sermon. I just want you to know how to use this book. There's nothing more important. Um, there's no more important tool in your life than this right here. Um, in fact, the fact that the reason we have public education in this country is because uh, our forefathers, because our forefathers and foremothers um, went before us, and they wanted you to have this book, and so they translated it into English, and then they realized it did you no good to have it in English if you could not read English, and so they created schools to teach you to read, and those eventually were given to our government, uh, who now manages them and, and, uh, and continues that legacy. We're going to be looking at Galatians, I mean at Colossians chapter 3 uh, for the next uh, six or seven uh, weeks, and uh, we're going to work together to be... Uh, to, to work through uh, this chapter of Scripture, not even this chapter, just the first 17 verses of Colossians uh, chapter 3 in a sermon series called Therefore. And I'm just going to preach today. I have a bunch of notes and I have a sermon written, uh, but I don't feel like using and I feel like just uh, preaching. I feel like just trying to uh, compel you uh, with why I think this is so important to us as a church you see in Colossians uh, chapter uh, 3, as, she, as, as Jennifer read it, uh, over and over again, it's going to get really nitty-gritty practical. It's going to talk about our sex lives. It's going to talk about our speech life. It's going to talk about our thought life. It's going to talk about a racial and national identity. It's going to talk about um, our character. It's going to talk about forgiveness and bitterness and resentments. It's going to talk about uh, unity and peace. It's going to talk about worshiping together. And then finally, after it's uh, pointed to all these uh, kind of elephants in the room, all of these character decisions, all these ethical dilemmas that we walk through every day, it's going to summarize in verse 17, whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father uh, through Him. You see, we, every one of us, every day is confronted with a thousand ethical choices about will we do this or will we not do this? Is this right or is this wrong? Is this uh, beneficial to me or is this destructive to me? Will this give me life or will this give me death? Will this help my family or will this sow seeds of discord? Will this uh, build intimacy in my relationships or will this erode the foundation of trust? And all of us have to make those decisions on the fly. We do so often without thinking. Those of us uh, like me who are perfectionists will make a decision and then spend...
important word in the Bible is not grace or mercy, but the word but. Because you were alienated, but God. But God has reconciled you, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. And he says, look at these words. He says, you've reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. First, he reconciled you. That means to put you back into relationship with. It means uh, to, to make, to, to, to heal uh, that which was broken. To reconcile, uh, if I were to, to sin against you, uh, the, the one who has done the wrong has to come and ask for forgiveness. I have to come acknowledge that I've, that I've, that I've wronged you, that I've, I've sinned against you, uh, that I've, I've hurt you, and to ask for forgiveness. And then only you can choose whether we will be reconciled or not. At that moment, but in this relationship, God does all the work. God, the, the injured party, comes and reconciles us to himself. And in so doing so, he makes us holy in his sight. Stop and think about that for a second. To present you holy in his sight. This is verse 22 of chapter 1. Present you holy in his sight. What does that mean? It means when God looks at you. When God looks at you, when God looks at you, he sees holiness. That you are holy in his sight. That he doesn't see filth and rags. He sees holiness because of the but, because of his grace and because of his mercy, because Christ's physical death has covered you. And now God looks at you and he sees you as holy. He goes on. He says he sees you without blemish. That God, look, the Father, looks at you and sees you without blemish and free from accusation. That, the, that you are without blemish and there's no one who can stand there and accuse you of anything. The Bible will say in Romans chapter 8, who is in a position to accuse us? Only Christ, and yet Christ is the one who died for us. Christ is the one who rose for us. Indeed, Christ is the one who is standing there advocating and pleading with the Father for us. And the Father looks at us and says, Welcome home, my son, my daughter, holy and beloved, wanted and cherished. You are welcome here. I love you. I am pumped that you're here. Without accusation, there are no voices that God hears about you that aren't saying, Beloved, wanted, cherished child. That God the Father hears no accusations against you. That all those accusations have been silenced. All those voices in your head that say you're not good enough. All those voices in your head that say you've made too many bad decisions. All those voices in your head that says you're too much of a, a, of a, a failure. Uh, that you are uh, hopeless. All those voices. The Father doesn't hear any of them. The Father hears Jesus and the Holy Spirit both saying, mine, 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 love, wanted, cherished, forgiven, holy, blameless. This is the gospel. And this is the antidote to all the spiritual lies that we believe. This is the antidote to all that ails us in this life. This is what, uh, this is the antidote. This is the cure for all of our uh, sin, for all of our poor living, our unwise sinful behavior will not be changed because we, we put pressure on our will, but because we put pressure on our heart to see, to receive, and to enjoy the love of God. And it first cures the lie that you have to clean up your act before you can come to God. You don't. The therefore always follows the but, and the but always follows the bad news. Bad news, but, good news, therefore, live like it's true. Sinner, saved, therefore, life. 
And so we have to remember to keep the therefore after the but. This is the antidote. You cannot accomplish your New Year's resolution and then come to God. God has already done everything necessary for us to put him back in relationship. But this also attacks the second great lie uh, that will sneak into the therefore. And this other great lie, I need you to hear me out on this one because it's going to sound heretical when I first say it. And that's that the gospel is not about forgiveness. Not exclusively, not even majorly. We tend to believe that the gospel is just about wiping the slate clean. And that is certainly part of the gospel as Colossians outlines it. We just talked about being made holy and blameless. We just talked about that, but it's not the whole of the gospel. And I'm afraid that most of us live under that lie. And so we believe that Jesus has done his part on the cross and now the rest is up to us, that Jesus has forgiven our past and it's up to us to live uh, in our own power different lives from now on, that Jesus has done his part and now he sat down next to God the Father in heaven on his lazy boy and on Sundays he flips between NASCAR and our church service just to see if Junior's getting it right and if you're getting it right. And that's just not the gospel because the gospel is not primarily about forgiven broken rules. It's about mending a broken relationship and all the forgiveness is necessary for the, for the relationship to be put back together, that for the relationship to be reconciled, forgiveness has to happen. But if you get forgiveness with no relationship, that's not the gospel. The, re- the gospel is about something more intimate and more constitutive and more permanent than forgiveness. It's about a relationship that is more fundamental than marriage. And that's why the Apostle Paul's favorite way to summarize the gospel, the, the Apostle Paul's favorite way to talk about the transformation, their favorite way to talk about what it means to be a Christian is in two words. And the two words are in Christ. The preposition in and then Christ. And he's not saying faith in Christ, which is what we tend to think of. Uh, grammatically, faith in Christ, it, the, the in is used in the dative case, um, which means Christ is the object of my faith, that I have faith in Christ, that I, that, I, that I trust Christ. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying you are in Christ, and he's using in as, uh, as a preposition, that, that, as a spatial preposition, a preposition that, that denotes where you are. Not what you believe, but where you are, that you are in Christ. Over 165 times, the Apostle Paul will use the language of being in Christ. He will say, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. He said, it is my goal. This is the reason I work so hard, that I might present everyone fully mature in Christ. He says um, that over and over again in there he says um, that this that you are in Christ and this is what theologians will call union with Christ uh, that you have been uh, completely united to Christ that God the Father cannot think of you without thinking of Jesus and he can't think of Jesus without thinking of you that you and Jesus have been super glued together in the spiritual realm that you and Jesus have been joined together like Siamese twins you remember that movie what's that movie like stuck on you or the two brothers uh, had to go everywhere together because they were joined at the hip, that you and Jesus are always together in the Father's thoughts. I feel like I'm not on. Am I loud enough? All right, good. Just making sure um, because I didn't know. I couldn't read your faces like y'all were make, like I was up here speaking Greek. And then uh, that Paul wants you to know that because of the cross of Jesus, because Jesus lived a perfect life and died a substitutionary death and rose victoriously over sin 
You are now in Christ. And that's what he's trying hard to articulate again in chapter 3, at the very beginning of chapter 3. Uh, he's saying, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That is confusion because none of you have died in the medical sense. All of your hearts are still beating. All of your brains are still firing these little electric signals uh, throughout it. And yet the Bible says you died. Verse 3, for you died. When did you die? You died when Christ died. That's what uh, Paul articulated in uh, chapter 2 from verse 13 uh, down to 15. That He says you, when Christ died, you died, that you were glued to Jesus, that Jesus carried you to the cross, and he carried all your sin to the cross, and you died there. And what will come for you in the future is not death. It's just a shadow of death. You've already died. All the real death has already, accom- ha- already happened to you, Christian. What's in front of you? It's just like walking between two rooms. It's not, it's not death. Jesus died, you died, now what's next is just like falling asleep. And so he says, um, and then he goes on to say that your life is hidden with Christ in God. That you and I are so stuck together that somehow we are now seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. That we now uh, await to see ourselves as we actually are when Christ appears. But for right now, uh, it's hidden. That what we are is not, is veiled. Uh, that we are united and glued to Jesus. This then is the therefore that will Im- the rest of our lives. This then is the therefore that will inform the rest of our lives. But I don't know that I can communicate uh, this clearly. But I will I'll try to show you this in Christ, this union with Christ uh, is completion in uh, roughly, um, in, we'll just say four ways, and I'll do them very quickly. First, you and I are in Christ, thinking spatially. So when Father looks at us, he sees Christ and he sees me together. And he always has. If you flipped over to Ephesians chapter 1, it said, Before the foundation of the world, he predestined us to be adopted in Christ. In Christ. That we are in Christ. That we have been uh, set in Christ. Uh, he says, but it's not just that we are in Christ, it's that Christ is in us. If you're still in Colossians, uh, look at Colossians uh, chapter uh, 1. Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 27. He says, To them God has made known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of of glory. Not only are you in Christ such that, that you, you only can conceive of and understand yourself inside of Jesus, but Christ is inside of you, that Christ uh, dwells and lives in you, and not just in, some, uh, and not just in some metaphorical way, but in some actual sense. Uh, the Apostle Paul believes this, and so in two verses, he will say something uh, that should be encouraging for those of you who are weary and heavy laden, for those of you who feel like life is kicking your behind right now. For those of you moms and dads who are like, if they don't start school on Monday, I'm going to lose my mind. Look at verse 28 and verse 29 of chapter 1. It says, Christ is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's that phrase, in Christ again. But he's now going to talk about the other half of that, which is Christ in me. Verse 29. 
Paul says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul's saying, in order to present everyone mature, I work my tail off. But whose energy am I using when I work my tail off? Christ. All the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. Mom, Dad, I know you're in your robe. You're, you, good. You know what energy you're now getting ready to pull on? Jesus's. And until you have to pull on Jesus's, you won't. You'll be working on battery power the whole time until the backup generator is necessary. And then Jesus will step in. But you have access to all the energy of Christ. You and I, as Christians, are not just so tucked into Jesus, but Jesus is so tucked into me and into you that you have access to all the energy of Christ. That is an incredible, crazy promise for you who are exhausted and tired, for you who are sitting there trying to, you're coming home from work and you're dying. It's been one of those days where the boss wouldn't get off your tail and the phone wouldn't stop ringing and the to-do list got longer and as soon as you knocked one thing off, another thing happened and then the pipe broke and then you, can't, you got a call from home that the, the furnace was out and you were going to have to go home and then the bank called and said that you had overdrafted at lunch when you took your boss out because you were trying to get on his good side and now you've got to go home and try to figure out how do I read bedtime stories how do I do dishes how do I do any of that when all I want to do is sit in a chair and watch TV all I really want to do is sit in my car and cry I I got nothing Jesus and Jesus says oh 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 you do because it ain't you and me It's you in me and me in you, and I'm getting ready to give you all the energy that I can work in you. I'm getting ready to give you all the energy you need. Be brave and courageous. Step up and trust me. Step up and try, and I will provide the energy you need. Us in Christ Christ and us. This then is the goal to which everything is going to present everyone mature in Christ. What does that maturity look like? Well, the goal of us being Christians, God's plan, God's hope, God's dream for this, what the Father wants, what Jesus gave his life to accomplish is not just that we would uh, be forgiven in Christ, not just that we would be empowered in Christ, but that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, that Jesus would be the cookie cutter that we then fill out, that we then grow up into. Like this over the break, uh, my kids uh, made these ornaments where they took a bunch of um, beads, plastic beads, and they stuck them in a cookie cutter and they baked them, uh, which is a perfectly good way to ruin a cookie sheet, but it will make these really colorful ornaments that are shaped like gingerbread men. And what God is doing when he places us in Christ is he is giving us a form in which to grow. And so that's what he's saying in uh, Colossians chapter 3. I'm not going to make you turn to a different place. I'll show you in Colossians 3 because this is in every place in the Bible. Uh, But Colossians chapter 3, it says in verse 10, you have put on a new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. You are being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of his creator. You remember in the beginning, God made us in the image of God. He made us male and female. He made them. That image was marred, was broken, uh, was, was, uh, was smudged, uh, was scarred. 
in the fall by our sin, and we are being remade in the image of our Creator. Who is that Creator, capital C, in verse 10? Oh, well, the Bible has already told us in Colossians uh, that it is Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God. This is chapter 1, verse 13. The firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created. And so you and I are being made into the image of Christ. And so all of these commands about our sex life and our language and our, our, our idea about race and our idea about forgiveness and about bitterness is to make us into the image of Jesus, to conform us to the image of Jesus. Because Jesus is the fully human one. He's the one who shows us what it means to be a fully human person. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the elephants in the room. We're going to talk about um, how the gospel has necessary implications for how we think about different areas of our life. And honestly, the reason we're going to do this is because uh, we are constantly being formed by outside pressures to think differently about sexuality, about language, about behavior, about race, about uh, nationality, about forgiveness, about getting even, about worship, about joy, about unity. We're constantly being formed to think about these things by the world around us. Every day you receive thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of messages that are trying to form you to think about life in a particular way. In the movies you watch, the TV shows you watch, in the books you read, in the advertisements you see, in the conversations you have, you are being formed. And you're being formed poorly to just tell you the truth, you're actually being stunted. You're being malformed. The world wants to do to your soul what the Chinese used to do to women's feet. It wants to bind you until you are broken, until you cannot work. And it will do so trying to convince you that it will make you more beautiful, that it will give you joy, that it will give you hope. But those things, intimacy, joy, hope, satisfaction, contentment, courage, humility, patience, perseverance, long-suffering, endurance. Those things only come through the gospel. Those things only come through obedience. There is no shorter, faster, easier, softer way. But friends, God is for your joy, and you can trust Him because of the the but. And now we can live into the therefore. In two weeks, we'll talk about therefore sexuality, how the gospel has logical implications for our sexuality. Until then, let us constantly remind ourselves we can trust God. We can trust Him to give us instructions about joy in life because He gave us His Son. He gave us His Son. Let's pray. Jesus, we just submit to you. You gave us yourself. You gave us your very life to show us where to go, what to avoid. I pray right now we would have the humility to lay down our own definitions of right and wrong and to submit to yours. I 
pray for those today who are realizing they hadn't heard your voice in a long time because they've been alienated by sin, by evil behavior, by hard-heartedness. But they want to come home and they can do so just by saying yes, by opening their hands and saying, Jesus, come, fill me. Be in me and me in you. Teach me how to live life your way that I may never be separated from you again. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.